Now again, we'll <coughs> turn together uh, in our Bibles uh, to the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 15 uh, to 20. And we'll consider Jesus as Lord of creation and new creation. So again, let's hear uh, the word of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. So I can still remember uh, the very first time in, in Bible college many years ago, my mind was was blown by a new truth um, about Jesus. Uh, we were um, in a class thinking about uh, the doctrine of uh, Jesus Christ, um, and our lecturer was using some uh, works from early church fathers uh, and was helping us to see um, that the Christ child in the manger, that, that tiny, vulnerable little baby, at one and the same time, uh, was sustaining the universe. And that wasn't something I'd thought about before, and that was a remarkable truth. Um, and it made me realize that then, and I hope well, I still realize now, that, that my view and our view of Jesus constantly needs to expand. We will never come close to grasping the full extent of the glory of God, of the glory of the Lord Jesus. Uh, even in all eternity, we will never uh, cease to discover more of that glory. It's a glorious passage, isn't it? And it's written to a church in Colossae uh, of young Christians, of Christians who were uh, under pressure, uh, hearing uh, false teaching, tempted to to look away from depending only uh, in Jesus, um, to add some other rules and regulations. And here's Paul's wonderful response. And there's such wisdom here. And Paul could easily um, say, just don't do that. This is a really bad idea to try and add anything to Jesus. But what he does instead is he is he looks to, to give them this wonderful reminder of just how great Jesus is. He gives this wonderful Christ him for them eh, to say eh, to them, Jesus is supreme. There is none greater than him. Therefore, don't seek to add to him. Jesus is sufficient. To have faith in him means you don't need to have anything else for your salvation. And this has always been the confession of the church. This was a hymn uh, already, it seems, in in circulation. Uh, So within a matter of decades, this is what the church has been singing, testifying about Jesus. 
He is supreme. He is fully God. He is the only Savior. Jesus is Lord. Um, Our starting point this evening is is I'm confident that we all need this text. We all need to be reminded about the glory of Christ because like the church in Colossae, we'll all be tempted in different ways towards taking our eyes off Jesus. Perhaps for some of us, that will be because of the pressures of life. Sometimes it will be the temptation towards sin. Perhaps it will be because of questions or doubts or fears. Uh, And we can stop looking towards Jesus. And we also need this because, because like me, we always need to be uh, reminded and to use the, the, the glasses or the binoculars of Scripture to have an appropriate vision of Jesus. Uh, to recognize that, that Jesus is not small. He's not a savior that we can control. Rather, he is the Lord of the universe. So this hymn is written uh, as a gift to the church to tune our hearts to sing the praise of Christ. It's a wonderful text to study as we approach Christmas. A text that shows us the extent to which Jesus is Lord over creation and Lord over the new creation. And to help us to begin to think why that matters for faith and life. So let's think, verse 15 to 17. Let's think together briefly about Jesus as Lord of creation. Two phrases uh, to pick out, uh, to focus on. The first, at the beginning of verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Uh, as B.B. Warfield, the American theologian, said, uh, Jesus makes the invisible God visible. It's a wonderful reality, isn't it? And this was Paul's teaching uh, throughout his letters. We can turn, for example, to Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4, and we hear Paul say this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So in the gospel, we discover that Jesus is the image of God and we discover the glory of Christ. And and sadly, uh, the devil wants to keep people from believing that. Then verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's the testimony of John in his gospel. That's why uh, we read his introduction. The word became flesh and made his uh, dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only son, full of grace and truth. We've been thinking about it for the last few months uh, in John's gospel. We've been hearing the words of Jesus. He who has seen me has seen the father. I and the father are one. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. And also when we think of that idea of image, the image of God, maybe for many of us our minds go back to Genesis 1, where Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. And their role was to rule and reign for God to spread, as it were, the image of God in creation. But, of course, we know from our Bibles that Adam and Eve fell into sin and and failed to do that in the same way as we fail uh, to do that. But here is Jesus, and he is the true and better Adam, uh, who does come bringing in the kingdom of God, who does uh, restore the reign of God, who does spread the image of God 
in the world that he created. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But then in verse 15, there's also that um, significant phrase that the Son, Jesus, is the firstborn over all creation. And and this is a a phrase that we need to be careful with. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, would, would use this text to say, well, here's proof positive that Jesus was the the first created being. Uh, How do we respond to that? Well, we can perhaps, uh, to just think about the the tone and the teaching of this text, what's it saying about Jesus? It's saying something far beyond that, isn't it? It's expressing the fact that Jesus is fully God. The fullness of God dwells in him, that he is eternal, that he is before and above all. Rather, the idea of firstborn has to do with rank and place. Think about the firstborn child. Uh, They were the heir. Uh, Here is Paul's way of saying, uh, remember, all creation belongs to Christ because he is firstborn in rank, first place. In the Old Testament, uh, God said that Israel was his firstborn in Exodus 4. Uh, The Davidic king, Psalm 89, is God's firstborn. Um, kings or nations chosen with a special place and a special role. Jesus is God's firstborn in the sense that he perfectly represents his rule. He is uniquely, eternally loved by his father and he is the heir of all things. He has ultimate rule and honor is the idea. And that's made clear from the phrases that follow. Uh, So again, if you have uh, your Bibles, take a look at these phrases. Verse 16 For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Jesus is the agent of creation. God created through Jesus, his word. And and look at how comprehensive the list is. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus the Son is acting with God the Father and as God in creating. And we also discover that that Jesus himself is the goal of creation. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things. He is the eternal Lord. He's not part of the creation. He was there before uh, there was anything other than Father, Son and Spirit. And verse 17, in him all things hold together. He is the Lord who sustains the universe he created. He is the one who controls. Jesus is the unifying theory of everything. Paul is saying in these verses. Our Christmas carols, they sometimes ask the questions. What child is this? Who is he in yonder stall? Look at the size of the answer that Paul gives here. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God in all his glory. Jesus is the Lord of the universe, the universe that was created by him, in him, and for him. For a church under pressure, for Christians like us, here is hope. Here is hope when the world perhaps seems to be spinning out of control in our own experiences as we look around society. Jesus is in control. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is working out his purposes. 
here is hope when our faith feels weak, when we wonder if we can keep going and we remember that our faith is dependent on Jesus, the one who is strong enough to to create this world, is, is strong enough to establish new creation life in us, is strong enough to, to keep us in our faith. It's hope for us as well to recognize it's this Lord, the Creator Lord, who has entered into his creation in order to save us. It's cause for praise. So Jesus is Lord of creation, but he's also, as Paul moves on, he's also Lord of the new creation. So let's again look at some key phrases in verse 18 to 20. He begins there. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, boys and girls, your classes are are over for the term, but let's do some very basic biology. If you think about it, we can lose a toe, we can lose an arm, we can lose a leg, we'd have pain, but we'd be okay. But if we lose our heads, we have nothing. Jesus is the head. Jesus gives life to the church. Jesus is our command and control center. Just as our brain functions to control our bodies, Jesus um, is Lord over the church. And so it is vital for the church, it was vital for this church that Paul is writing to, to stay connected, united to him, just as it's vital for us to be connected to Jesus. Verse 18 goes on, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, To help us to think about this, um, a a chap called Athanasius uh, wrote a book on the incarnation uh, back sometime in the 4th century, I can't remember exactly when, Uh, but he said this, wonderful, uh, helpful phrase, I think, there is no inconsistency between creation and salvation. For the one Father has employed the same agent for both works. So let's just stop there. Um, Athanasius is, is reminding us God's agent of creation is Jesus. God's agent in salvation is Jesus. Um, so the Father was effecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning. So that same word, Jesus, who gives life to creation is the same word who gives new creation life. That phrase, the the beginning, I guess, makes us think of, of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. Uh, Jesus is the one through whom God creates a new spiritual life. And he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So again, firstborn has that idea of first in rank, first in authority, Why is Jesus the the firstborn from among the dead? Tom Schreiner says, well, Jesus rules over death because he was the first to conquer death. Um, And as it goes for Jesus, so it goes for his followers. Being the firstborn from among the dead at the resurrection is proof. Jesus is the author of life. Proof positive that Jesus has the power to give new life. The promise of resurrection life for all who trust him. We don't need to look to anyone or anything else. Verse 19. 
God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Everything essential to being God is found in Jesus and belongs to Jesus. Same words, same ideas anyway in chapter 2 verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then he goes on to say, in Christ you've been brought to fullness. Because you're trusting in a saviour who is fully God, you can believe that you have a full salvation and you're not lacking anything. Uh, perhaps again, boys and girls, we can think about this by thinking about a, a, a bike. If you've got a bike, or you can think about a bike, uh, for a bike to be full and complete, it needs every part, doesn't it? It needs a saddle, it needs a chain, it needs pedals, it needs brakes. Otherwise, it's not complete. Uh, the Bible is teaching Jesus isn't partly God. Jesus isn't mostly God. Jesus isn't sometimes God. Jesus is totally God while also being totally man. Jesus is eternally God. All that is essential to God is found in Jesus. It's a reminder in the context of their false teaching, if there's nothing missing from Jesus, why would they try and add to Jesus? And then verse 20 Through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The Lord Jesus came that first Christmas, and he came to bring peace on earth. We learn some wonderful truths about reconciliation from this verse here, verse 20. Uh, We learn that reconciliation is God's work. A work of reconciliation, making peace between uh, two parties who are uh, at enmity with one another. God takes the initiative to make peace. The coming of Christ is all of grace. We learn, too, that reconciliation is a completed work. It was completed at the cross. Peace has been made. Jesus said it is finished. The sin barrier is broken down. Uh, That sin that would separate us from our God uh, has been dealt with for those who trust in Jesus uh, so that we can enjoy peace. So reconciliation happened at the cross. How does God make peace? Through the blood of his son Jesus. He makes peace by way of sacrifice. Again, there's a reminder of of why there's no room for pride in the Christian life. It it took the giving of Jesus. It took the death of his perfect son. God the Father's perfect son in order to reconcile us to himself. And also we're reminded in this verse that reconciliation takes in all things. Takes in the church, the people of God, but also the creation, the creation that that is under the curse, that's been under the curse since Genesis three, the creation that is groaning in Romans eight, waiting for full and final salvation of the people of God uh, when the new heavens and the new earth are established when Jesus returns. So here to this uh, group of, of young Christians. Uh, under pressure uh, to listen to false teaching, Paul gives them this wonderful, wonderful hymn. Let's just, before we close, let's think 
about some reasons why this hymn matters uh, for you and me as we think about the glory of Jesus that might increase our worship and increase our joy. Let's just remind ourselves that when we're thinking about Jesus, considering Jesus, we are recognizing that Jesus truly reveals God as creator and redeemer. It has been well said that if God were our creator only, and we just thought of God as almighty power, uh, we might run from him in terror. But that God is our redeemer through the work of Christ, that produces a different kind of fear. That fear that is awe and wonder and worship that God would love so much. Again, uh, to go even further back in early church history, second century, Irenaeus, uh, like this, God who formed us in the beginning also formed us in the womb. Personal creation, not just universal creation. Uh, God created each one of us. And that same God saw us out when we were lost, uh, won us back for himself, carries us home on his shoulders. How do all those wonderful pictures of salvation uh, come to fulfillment? They come to fulfillment through Jesus, the Son of God, who is conceived in the womb of the Virgin, made one of us in order to redeem us. Jesus reveals to us God as creator and as redeemer. This hymn also reminds us Importantly, that Jesus is Lord over all of life. Uh, Perhaps we have a tendency to put uh, God in a box, a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. Perhaps we can think in terms of spiritual and, and, and secular or regular. Jesus gets one but not the other. And whenever we're doing that, we need to understand that our God is far too small. The creation and the new creation are his. He is Lord not just over some, but over all. Every part is his. And spiritual wisdom recognizes that and looks to live in dependence on Christ because of that, so that we might live to his praise and glory in all the circumstances of life. So whether we're thinking about how do I approach life at home or um, how do I uh, make sure that my conversations are, are, are pleasing to God? How do I face my work tasks? How do I spend my money? We need to take all of these before the Lord Jesus to not lean on our own understanding, but to lean on his wisdom because he's Lord, not just over some, but over all of our lives. We're also reminded here um, that the church exists by the grace of God shown to us in Christ. Again, Paul said in Ephesians 1 um, that God's people are chosen in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, predestined to be adopted as God's children. That The church is, is God's plan. The church is the house that Jesus came to build. And the Son of God 
saves his people. He gathers them to himself. He makes sure that we persevere in our faith. He is the one who promises to bring us home to our Father. The church doesn't rest on human authority. Don't rest on human traditions. Additional regulations such as the false teachers would add. The church is built on Christ. The truth of the gospel. And to find ourselves part of the church is to find ourselves united. First of all, united to the Lord Jesus. He is our head, but also united to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Here is the basis for our unity. Here is the basis for our love for one another. And then finally to think about this, that faith, our faith day to day, it depends on this Jesus as Lord. Now we are being reminded here that Jesus is the one who saves. He is the one who comes to establish peace through his blood. Our contribution to the work of salvation is to bring our sin and our guilt and our need and to acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves and to trust in the one who has come to save us. We are called again to recognize the only proper object of our faith is the Lord Jesus and that atoning work that he came to do. We are being reminded that Jesus is a sufficient savior. We don't need to add anything to him. We need to look for anything more than him. He is God's gift of grace to us. And so our salvation rests and receives Jesus alone for salvation. And to also remember that this Jesus who's been described here, he's the one who sustains faith. The same Jesus who's sustaining the universe by the word of his power is sustaining his church. We look to him to keep us, to keep his church and to bring us home. So as we get ourselves ready uh, for Christmas, I hope that this uh, wonderful hymn uh, will serve to expand our minds and our faith and our hearts uh, as we look to prepare and as we look to worship. Uh, Let me pray briefly for us. Lord, our God, uh, we Recognize that your glory is so great uh, that we are only ever uh, seeing glimpses of it. And that we're only ever scratching the surface of your truth and your beauty and your majesty. Of your lordship, of your grace and mercy. Uh, But Lord, we thank you that those glimpses that we see are capable of filling our hearts with joy, of uh, putting songs uh, in our mouths, of giving strength to our faith. And so we thank you for this wonderful uh, Christ hymn. And we pray uh, that uh, you would help us to appreciate and to draw deeply to ourselves uh, the truths that are contained in it uh, so that 
Our lives would be built on Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, so that we would be sustained in our faith as we are resting and trusting in him alone. Lord, we pray that uh, this would be uh, a time in our life of growing in our faith, of growing in our love, of growing in our hope and our joy as you continue to show us wonderful things uh, from uh, your wonderful word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we are uh, going to sing together as we close uh, the hymn, Behold Our God. And uh, we are without uh, musical accompaniment, but should be on the, the video, so we should be all right. So we can stand and we can sing together, Behold Our God. <laughs>